Hey y'all, this podcast is meant for mature audiences only and contains strong adult language. So if you are under 18, be out. We discuss our experiences, thoughts, and tips on ethical non-monogamy from the perspective of a black married couple. We smart, but we not experts. So this show is for entertainment purposes only. So whether you working out, driving, or listening to us on your home sound system, enjoy the show. What's up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to the Black and Kinky Lifestyle Podcast. This is The Bomber, and for those of you who don't know, in honor of Black History Month, a.k.a. the month of February, we take the time to feature black sex-positive content creators to tell their story and a little bit about what they do. We're so excited this year because I think we got a pretty diverse group of content creators that are doing some great work around the country. The benefit of this series is that you will get several bonus episodes during the month uh, rather than the typical single month episode and hopefully we'll enlighten you to some folks that you weren't aware of because that's what we do at BNK. We make connections and collaborations. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this series, Black and Sex 2023. <laughs> Black female sex positive influencers, there are a lot of them, and some of them are authors, some of them are fighters, some of them are trailblazers, but each in their own way have pushed the liberation of black communities across the diaspora, and our guest today is one of them. But before we get to her, let's look back in time at some of the black female influencers that have come before. For those who don't know, I have ancestry in Ghana, which is in West Africa. But before Ghana was Ghana, its land was ruled by the Ashanti Empire, one of the most powerful tribes in West Africa. And the symbol of their power and legacy was this golden stool. The golden stool is a throne whose entire surface is inlaid with gold. And according to oral tradition, the golden stool descended from the heavens and landed at the feet of the first Ashanti king. This story is not about him, though, but about the queen, Ya Asantua, a historical influencer who stood up against the British Empire during the Ashanti War. And it was during this war that the British kidnapped the Ashanti king and demanded the stool as a condition of his return. Now, as a response, the leaders of the Ashanti nation met in secret to talk about how they might negotiate with the British to secure the king's return. So as they are sitting and they are talking and they're debating, it's said that Yaasantua stood up during this meeting, pointed a gun in the air, and pulled the trigger. And she stated, If you, the chiefs of Ashanti, are going to behave like cowards and not fight, you should exchange your loincloths for my undergarments. Hashtag, I'm a boss. Well, no, she didn't add that hashtag part. That was me. This was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but what a tweet that would have been. Yaasantua was chosen to be the war leader of the Ashanti fighting force, leading an army of thousands against the British. Now, the Ashanti would actually go on to lose that war, but the Golden Stool remains in Ghana to this day. Taking this back to Black America, there have been a string of black female influencers that have stood up 
for freedom and empowerment for the black community. Harriet Tubman, who led black folks to freedom with the Underground Railroad and inspired followers and liberators to follow suit. Ida B. Wells, who led the anti-lynching initiatives before joining the NAACP in the 19th century. Audre Lorde, a black lesbian feminist who made limitless contributions to the advancement of queer theory in the 1970s. And the modern day black female sex positive influencers are almost as limitless. Educators like Marla Stewart, Taylor Sparks, trailblazers like Jet Setting Jasmine, and authors like Ariana Cruz, authors, influencers, fighters, trailblazers, all of which describes our guest today. Okay, so today we have Gabrielle Alexa Noel, and she is a writer covering topics within sexuality, culture, and identity. She has bylines in LGBTQ Nation, Lady Science, Playboy, The Independent, and so many others. And she's also been featured on Jada Smith's Red Table Talk on the topic of polyamory. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Gabby. And one of the reasons why is that you are now on my list of like really awesome authors because you also wrote how to live with the internet and not let it run your life. And I read that book in like two days. And I think it should be required reading for every human being with a smartphone. I can't wait to start talking about it. But yes, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I, I know I was just telling you before, but I just got a very angry conservative said that my book is like anti-conservative propaganda. So I really appreciate the compliments. <laughs> yes. No, if you're getting anti-conservative propaganda, to me, that means you're, you sound really smart. And folks are threatened by people who sound really smart because it threatens their worldview, which is something else you kind of talk about a little bit in your book, I think. So I think it's actually a compliment when you get that kind of hate. So kudos. I was at the bar like flirting with this guy and he was like, oh, you wrote a book. Let's go on Amazon and see the reviews. And then that was the first review that came up. Uh, and then he felt bad and bought me a shot. So it, I'm already I think I'm good, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> First of all, if you said you wrote a book, the one thing I would not do is check the reviews. Like, geez, like, what? Why? I had no idea why he did that. I was even like, are we sure we want to do that as a group exercise? And he insisted. And then after he quickly learned why you don't do that. Um, and then he bought me Malibu, which, you know, that coconut rum. <laughs> Malibu, is that really your go to? I haven't had Malibu in a while. I don't typically prefer Malibu. It's really sweet. So it like is jarring over time like i'm not gonna buy a bottle but a shot here and there it's just fun especially if you want a lower abv beverage i had been hugging tequila before that tequila is like one of the few drinks that i will shoot malibu i have to i i have to be on a beach or something it has to be a special mm -hmm. occasion for Malibu or any kind of rum for that matter. But speaking of special occasions, the first time we met was actually at PCAP. And I'm I'm going to be honest, Podcast of Palooza, I'm going to be honest that when you came to Podcast of Palooza, that was, I, I saw you for the first time and I knew you were important, but I didn't know, I didn't know why you were important. And then I found out after I got home and I started following you on social media and I was like, oh my God, like I was in the presence of this woman and 
and I didn't like gush over her. And I'm like, God, what a wasted opportunity. I mean, shout out to podcast Palooza for finding you and bringing you through. But I was like, damn, I really blew it. I went because my job, uh, hashtag open the dating app for non-monogamous couples and singles. We sponsored PCAP. That, well, that particular PCAP. Mm-hmm. So we were there tabling and raising brand awareness. And that was my first swingers anything or lifestyle anything. I came with my polycule, which was funny because they were like, well, we only do pairs, right? Like it had to be in twos. So I brought my boyfriend, I brought my girlfriend, and then I brought my boyfriend's other girlfriend because I was like, well... <laughs> We have to do two. And it was so fun. It was a great bonding experience. And we were so lucky to meet you as well. Yes. How was it being in your first swinger hotel takeover? It was interesting. And I mean, I've certainly been to like hedonism and I've been to play parties. So it felt like if the play party was like a week, I guess. Mm -hmm, (laughs) But mm -hmm. except it was, you know, swinger specific. But since I knew that it was going to be primarily focused on swingers i feel like i went in or i feel my entire polycule went in with this kind of like anthropological thing because at the end of the day we we could tell that we were going to be the only polyamorous people there we looked at who would be there Mm -hmm. and even when we said that we were a polycule everyone was giving us like like the slow poke slow blink about it have you been to another swinger event since pcap I have not. I mean, in New York, here in New York, we have a few running play parties, play spaces. There's non-monogamous meetups. So like, I mean, I meet swingers there sometimes just as much as I meet relating folks or like, you know, whatever other fluid language that they use to describe their different variations of non-monogamy. Why should people be interested in Gabby's? I wrote a book. I was really proud of that book. But the topic, the subject matter, was not what I wanted my first book to be about. I think I would have wanted a lot of my writing is sex and dating and identity. And it hadn't even occurred to me to write about the Internet, even though I was doing software development school. (laughs) So I think I do eventually want to write another book that is more focused on my niche. I started off as a sex and dating and relationships writer. I was writing for a number of publications and I had kind of like Tinder used to have an editorial publication and I was writing for them for a a really long time. I even did a Tinder commercial. Tinder had a commercial? It was like when they were rolling out sexual orientation as a new feature. It was like before people had to write it in their profile, but now they were like adding it so you could filter it, something like that. I forget what it was. Or adding new labels. Maybe it was that they only had like four and they were adding new ones or they were adding pronouns. So they had, they called a bunch of us to come in and try the app, the new version of the app on camera. So you've been writing for a while. So I wanted to pivot to tech because writing, it feels like a never ending hustle. And I feel like black can feel that way since you're already working so much harder than other people in any industry (laughs) it feels like a constant churn and then when you add on writing as a freelancer where you have to pitch all of your stuff and you have to follow up on invoices and you're like a business but also taxes are very different when you're a freelancer and i did not know that i just was like i can't work this hard all the time so i went to school for programming And that was when everyone was like, well, now you're even more valuable back as a writer and as a content creator. So come back and do that. So you wrote this book about how to live with the Internet 
And there's this concept you talk about in that book called media literacy, and I just can't get it out of my head. I mean, the, the way you define it in the book is it's the process through which we access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act while using different forms of communication. Media literacy is our like ability to think critically about media of all forms would be a shorter way to, way to say that. I feel that Black people have that family group chat is 75% conspiracy theories. And I have to always come in and debunk. And I guess I wanted a language for why my aunt keeps posting fake stuff, fake news everywhere. And there are tools that I could teach my parents and my aunts and stuff like that. One keeps being lateral reading, which is like, okay, if I'm on a publication or a social media platform and I see a fact, it is the responsible thing to do to at least verify, like, what are the biases of this particular form of media? If I open up a new tab and I look at other sources, do they corroborate what this one source is saying? And then using that to build like a lexicon of which sources are good and which aren't. And of course, there are also websites that help and will speak to the factualness of a particular media form. Um, as you were talking, I was realizing how much crap I get from my father and my my stepmom. I'm actually attending a Bible study, and one of the folks in this Bible study is just one of these conspiracy theory folks who just gets information and doesn't vet it. So it comes right. out every now and again because my wife, Belle, she'll say something like, I started doing yoga this year, and this woman will come out and she'll be like, well, you know, yoga is actually something that might invite evil spirits into your heart. And we're like, oh, nah. shit, yoga's evil now? And so basically her reasoning was that she saw a YouTube video from a woman who used to be a witch who explained that yoga teachers who encourage you to release your thoughts and go blank in your mind, they are actually opening up the door to the underworld and inviting evil spirits. So that's how she knew that. And there were other people who shared the video. And since people shared the video, it must be true. Wow. That is, I can be surprised because I remember a few different media cycles where the mythos that women are not supposed to have periods because of how bad the food is in Western culture or something. And women are only supposed to have periods once every four years or some weird shit. If people could believe that, I mean, then everything else must make sense. You know what I mean? Once you're already over there those other concepts are easier to enter your brain, huh? Because yoga, I didn't know yoga was evil. I don't want to do yoga, but I know it's evil. For real, Black people in particular, sometimes I think if you can frame something around racism, so X is racist and X happened in our history and we should dispel it or we should fight back against it. I remember when there were a lot of memes shared about where Black Friday came from. There were a lot of memes, mm -hmm. you know, that, that said Black Friday was just on Friday. They sold slaves. And that's that's what happened. That's why we have Black Friday now for some reason on fucking Christmas. I feel like we're vulnerable to that kind of news because when something looks racist, we're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that must be true because fucking white people are crazy. At the same time, there's things that actually happen to black people that sometimes I, I, it's frustrating because I feel like I'm like, this is like a verifiable fact. How are we not talking about this? And it really links to efforts of primarily Republican politicians right now to ban books and enact legislation that prevents people from learning about black history mm -hmm. because 
we already don't know it that well. You know, I know when I was younger, I had a lot of misconceptions and so much of my work as just a person is trying to learn something new that dismantles all of the programming. I realize how much learning about Black history is just on the backs of us to do like individually. And I'm like over 40 now. And every time I pick up a book about Black history written by an author who really goes in deep, I'm just picking up all kinds of shit. And I'm like, damn, I wish I learned this in high school. I'm reading this book right now that's talking about how slaves actually bought their freedom, which is really interesting how that worked from state to state, but the story about what it meant to purchase your freedom and why women tended to do it more is really interesting. You as this Black female influencer, I'm thinking about women in the past who worked together with their families to buy their freedom because if they had kids, their kids would be free. And so it was like this investment in the future. But something that was really meaningful as a non-monogamous Black woman was learning about pre- colonialism, African nations, there was a woman king, like she ID'd as a king, and she was non-monogamous and had multiple partners. It was very normalized in that culture, and they had different gender norms that were prevalent. There was a lot more empowerment for women or for femmes Mm -hmm. or, you know, just like for gender non-conforming people. And then white people showed up and colonized and then that was a wrap so many people who think oh the way for black people to thrive is we have to be monogamous and get married so we can support the black nuclear family in many ways a lot of the ideals that were enforced upon black people is the result of the slave trade it religion particularly like christianity catholicism like that did a number on indigenous cultures on the continent. And it's really interesting when you look across the diaspora, particularly in America and South America, um, it was in the interest of a lot of Black folks to claim allegiance to these Western religions, because in many ways that gave them legitimacy. It gave them favoritism in the eyes of those who would decide whether they were free or whether they were savages. And so if you came out and said you were a Christian and you practiced Christian values, like it could mean like a dramatically different quality of life. And so it's it's interesting what drove a lot of our cultures out of these traditional and more egalitarian relationship structures. I think the bright side of that, right, is we also got, first of all, Black people were like, yeah, 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 I'm Christian. And then they just, a lot of them just kept doing their own traditional practices. And that's why we have so many religions that are a mixture of like Christianity and indigenous practices. Many iterations of that blending of cultural and religious practices. And I feel like that's so beautiful. And like it it demonstrates the resilience of the diaspora. There are a ton of parallels between the the trajectory of the black experience from slavery to emancipation that has a lot of parallels to the, the Hebrew trajectory in the Old Testament and certainly the persecution, torture and murder of Christ himself. There's a lot that parallels our experience. And honestly, there are some great religious leaders 
leaders out there that connect Black empowerment to that experience as a way of uplifting our people. I love my people. I love my Black people. I don't care if you're Buddhist. I don't care if you're a Rastafarian. <laughs> we have a lot of great culture that we embed in our religious practices. So definitely agreeing with you there, Gabby. My family's from the West Indies. So like uh, my father's from Trinidad and moved to Grenada. My mom is from Grenada. And there are a lot of traditions that are specific to Grenada that are are not real Christian, that are like that are indigenous practices that were passed down. Um, But I didn't know that. Nobody explained that to me. So when I was raised to do like Christianity in that particular way, white people would be like, that has nothing to do with Christianity. And so like now that I know the beauty of that cultural and religious blending, and I am also blending that with my own liberatory practices, I feel like we're always producing new religious practices. I don't want to say religion because that sounds like I'm starting a cult, but like we're always reproducing our own new religious practices. My family's very West Indian. Like we have a house there still. We commit to activism in Grenada as well, primarily like environmental stuff because tourism ruins everything. So that's fine. They're like, white people were like digging up the beaches and then there was like a project to resand the beaches. I cannot even believe that's a real thing. Like, why are you stealing sand from the beach? My parents are so Caribbean though. I, they knew I went to Red Table Talk, right? Like Jada Pinkett Smith had sent a Uber to my front door and then the Uber brought me to the plane and then the plane brought me to another Uber and then the Uber brought me to my hotel. So you were, you went on Red Table with- yeah with the kingdom of the Smiths. What was that like? First of all, they have their own zip code. That was what the first wild part. And driving onto a property that was like all of their friends and family, like only people in their inner circle. And it was like this gated oasis of black. I was like, no fucking way. Amazing, incredible, outstanding. Their house was gorgeous. It was decorated so stylishly. Comfortably, it didn't engender the warm vibes of Brooklyn places, but it was beautiful. It looked so gorgeous. I couldn't even believe it. And it was fun. Of course, on the episode, I'm positioned as a polyam newbie because when they called me, I said, listen, it's a pandemic. I haven't really left my house in some months. So it feels like I'm new to polyamory right now. Like no matter the amount of time I've practiced it, Mm -hmm. I've been locked in this apartment with one partner for a year. So functionally, I feel like new and and especially when we all got vaccinated and we were stepping out of the pandemic, I feel like I had a lot of like attachment panic because we were so used to being locked up. And now I was like, oh, we're all gonna go date again. The muscle is out of practice. Was there any like really strict security on on deck? Of course. They, and we got COVID tested every five steps and <laughs> it was an experience for sure. I feel like I learned so much about polyamory that although, of course, I'm happy that I did the episode and I'm proud of the things that I said there. And then another like it had a whole agenda. Right. So my parents know that I was not that I went somewhere at the time I lived with them. But I was like, I don't want you to look. <laughs> I don't know who, like, they know who Jada Pinkett Smith is, but they've never seen Red Table Talk. They know my girlfriend is my girlfriend. And then they just think we're, like, really good friends with the rest of the polycule. They know that you're queer, but they don't know that you're poly? Yeah. I mean, they read my book. So uh, I mentioned polyamory really briefly. I thought I came out to my dad and then he read my book and he was like, I didn't realize that you were queer this whole time. 
that's how I came out to my dad by accident. He he read a book and found out. <laughs> I thought I had told him. I like at one point was fighting with my ex girlfriend right in front of him. I was like, "What did you think we were fighting about?" She cheated on me, and he was like, "I thought you, you were friends arguing." There's something about straight older black men where like queerness just like goes over their head so completely. Well, well, I think it I think it goes over our head when it's. Are you identifying yourself? as older is that what that i said older black men and you said we yeah i told you i'm like i'm like first of all first of all what is happening right now (laughs) my father is 70 something years old when i said older black men i'm talking about retired what I'm trying oh. to retire early. So, okay. So not older men, I'd say men in general may that may go over our heads. Like if I had a daughter and she was queer, I wouldn't know the difference between her being queer and not queer until I actually heard her say my girlfriend cheated on me and I'm upset. That would probably be a good clue for me. It sounds like your family accepted that you were queer and that was not a big deal. My mom was like annoying. I had to educate, but she wasn't not accepting she just had a lot of like incredibly annoying sometimes ignorant questions but i held space for that because she wasn't not accepting me (laughs) but gee i was like would you be cool if i was bisexual and my mom was like you would have to have sex with women for that to be true and i was like yeah that is what that means before she actually met any of the women i was dating she had this like mental block but then she met my girlfriend and now they're the same person and they're so obsessed with each other. So annoying. And my mom is like a light skinned black woman. So I was telling her about biphobia and how it's double discrimination. Like you're caught between two communities that that kind of want you to pick a side or not even two, but mo- multiple communities that expect you to pick a mononormative side. And my mom was like, oh, my God, that's exactly like me as a light skinned black woman. <laughs> I was like, girl, please. Please relax. So we, we had to go through some things, some education. I had to send her some books and things, but we're good now. Do you think they would accept your polyamorous lifestyle? Do you think they would accept that easier or harder than they would, than they have your queer identity? I think it would be the same thing. The problem is that my parents are not comfortable with the idea that their vision for my life is not the like healthiest, best way to be. So every single time I have to say something, I have to justify it. And I think the reason I'm not coming out is not that I don't think they'll accept me. It's that I'm too exhausted to justify. I already had to justify the bi thing. I had to be like, yes, I have slept with women. Yes, I think it's a long-term strategy. My mom was like, what if people are mean to you? I was like, girl, are you explaining homophobia to me right now? Of course, you're going to be mean to me. Or there was like one pride where she was like, I don't understand why you have to like go to a parade. Like there's no straight pride parade. I was like, mom, that's literally, that's the thing that right wingers say. I'm just thinking about the sheer amount of things I decided not to tell my parents because I just didn't want all the goddamn questions. I didn't want to deal with all of that shit. It's too much work. Damn. It's It's just too much work. And they see my queerness so much that I don't really feel pressed about anything else and polyamory is something that i started practicing in the last three or four years so it feels a lot less core to my identity than say queerness that i observed in myself since i was really young you know well what made you want to explore polyamory i had this guy that i like a situationship really so then 
he went away for a bit. He came back. He was dating this other chick, but he was still flirting with me. And, you know, when you're monogamous, you're like, mm, why, why are you talking to me? I know you got a girl. What you doing? Right. And I really thought I had something. And he was like, we're polyamorous. And I was like, polyamorous. Yeah, sure. He's like, I'll call my girlfriend right now. You know, he called her and they were polyamorous. And I was so embarrassed. So oh. I started hanging out with them. But in my head, I was a monogamous person hanging out with polyamorous people. <laughs> and... I bounced kind of back and forth where I'd be like, oh, I'm not really dating, but I'm entertaining this polyamorous person or this polyamorous couple. And then I'd go back and have a monogamous crush. And then I'd jump back and forth and or I'd be in multiple overlapping situationships and just be like, yo, it's so frustrating that these two people are probably messing with other people. Right. But not communicating. There's because there's no way we're all in like this toxic relation to each other when we could just be a lot more honest and just as soon as we date. And I remember like walking and having my headphones in and just being like, wow, I really care really deeply about the two people I'm situation shipping with. And they never seem to have the amount of communication or time commitment that I want, but I like them both. And I wish that we could just be like, I wish I could just be like, so I'm dating two people. Here's you and you, who are you dating? Can we just be honest? Mm-hmm. So when I think that, the next time after that, when I met a polyamorous person, I was like, all right, let me just try it out. I've heard the horror stories of how hard it is to be in a already committed relationship and then open up. And that work felt too hard for me. So I felt like, oh, I'm single right now. This is the perfect opportunity. Let me jump in. And it wasn't until my current relationship with my girlfriend where I remember being like, wow, like I definitely feel that this is for me, like, I'm not thinking, oh, but maybe I'll change my mind later. Mm-hmm. And you know what, honestly, and I know she says this as well, but PCAP for us solidified that we do enjoy kitchen table polyamory. PCAP was the first trip that we took as a polycule. <laughs> uh, so it was like on that trip that we were all like, wow, this is so nice. Let's do this again. But swinger retreats, I'm looking at prices. They are expensive. I don't know how y'all do it. Yo, it's it takes some serious planning. It takes really <laughs> some serious plan because there's a swinger tax. There's like another thousand, two thousand that they stack right on top of whatever you'd be paying if there was no swinger shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and it's a very different experience. You understand why that price is that way. Before I forget, this is like related but not related. My one of my best friends. And actually, all a few of my best friends booked a trip to a resort and they're reading it. But, you know, they always say like the lifestyle or whatever. So they're like, oh, it's a nice resort that we booked. Oh, adults only. That means no kids. And then they called me from vacation and they're like, Gary, we're at a sex resort. What? They didn't tell us. We didn't know. And I have been dying about yeah. it. And now they're like, hmm, maybe I'd go again. But they were so upset at their own mistake. And I think a little nervous. They like hid in their room the whole time. And I thought that was so precious. If you want it, if you want an all adults resort, I don't think there's particularly anything wrong with going to a swingers resort. But I think people are a little bit afraid of swingers. Uh, because they think that we're going to attack them and like force them into an orgy or something. And it's not like that. I also think there's like a discomfort with bodies. Like, oh, true. You're so used to the structure of everything that the idea of somebody being naked or half naked in the same room as you that you don't know, it's like the boogeyman already. Even when, I mean, as a per- when I first pulled up to hedonism, every naked person was just so regular minding their own business 
it's not like people were walking up like dick jacked to the ceiling, right? It's like flaccid dicks walking around enjoying their life. Uh, be naked, maybe fucking in a corner, but no one was like following me around. <laughs> yes, and that would make it a little bit different from just a nudist resort, uh, in mm-hmm. which case, in which case, having sex is strictly prohibited most of the time. I'm like, oh, I would have so many better things to say today. So I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. If there was one message you want the black community to know that may not be as accepted in our community at this time like what's one thing i'm sure i already i came up with three things already all Um, right i want to hear all of them let's go well the first one is that it's not only white people that practice (laughs) non-monogamy i hate when they're like oh i bet she only dates white people because only white people do non-monogamy and i have a white puerto rican partner now but that is the first white Puerto Rican partner I've ever had. I'm like, how do I look like a bitch who's only dated white people? That's wild. And I'm not going to be like, here's the Carfax. So I'm just like, whatever. I just let it rock. But I think in general, black people, people of color in general, everyone practices non-monogamy if they're non-monogamous. And it's it's all right. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that came to mind is black people in particular because of the history of colonialism and slavery, I know as a woman, I felt this way too, that you want to have the nuclear family to prove that you as a Black person are are succeeding, I guess, that you're not held back. And I want us to step out of that framework. Like, I don't need to be in a monogamous marriage for my life to be beautiful and amazing and filled with love and stable and chosen family can be just as important. But if we're like chasing this one rigid ass structure, we don't get to figure out the one that actually fits us. And that could be a huge spectrum of things from monogamish to open to swinging to whatever label you want to use. Did you ever read? uh, Love's Not Colorblind? Yes. There we go. Of course. We even had uh, Kevin Patterson on hashtag open ed for an episode. He had a PowerPoint presentation and everything. It was great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can my listeners find you? I'm at Gab Alexa everywhere except video games where I'm incognito. Buy my book, How to Live with the Internet and Not Let It Run Your Life. If you want to audit your social media and media literacy practices. And it's Black History Month, which doesn't just mean studying history. It means paying Black people. That's it. Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much, Gabby. I'll catch up with you. All right. All right, y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed that interview. As always, you will be able to find information on all of our guests in our show notes. Check them out. Follow them. Message them. Email them. Connect with them. Find out where their next event is happening. I peace. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please do check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Black and Kinky. You can also find us under the same name on Cassidy, APG, Amore Getaways, and Patreon. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube under Black and Kinky Lifestyle. Feel free to email us at Black, the letter N, Kinky Lifestyle at gmail.com. Bye. Black and Kinky, Black and Kinky. Black and Kinky Lifestyle.